1: Are the Nashville Predators the worst team in NHL history? That's the question Pred's Twitter wants us to answer tonight on a special OTF podcast. How is that for dramatics, guys? Good. Good dramatic. That was pretty good. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Well, well, perfect. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Nick Morgan. This is the On the Forecheck podcast. And uh, yeah, as you might imagine, we have a lot to get to tonight. A lot of hot topics, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, let's introduce the roundtable here. Uh, as always, we have my podcasting buddy, Sean Smith from On The Forecheck. Sean.
0: Hey, how you doing? We
1: also have... Uh on the fourcheck check writer and someone who is not here for your Matt Duchesne hot takes. Anne Kimmel. Hi Ann.
2: Hey Nick.
1: And we also have the moody teenager of On the Fourcheck. The Rory Gilmore to Sean's Lorelai. Eamon Smith, Eamon. I resent that. Which part? The Gilmore girls reference or the the moody teenager part? You decide. I mean it's all accurate either way. I hate you. Uh, sure you do. I'm sure everybody does. All right. Well, let's talk about the Nashville Predators. That's not been a fun topic of conversation for the past week or so. Uh the Predators are now four and five this season after nine games. Uh after starting the season with two wins, they've lost five of their last seven. And the latest two losses came in a very not pretty series of games against the Defending Cup champs, Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Sean, I'll start with you. Just overall thoughts on the team watching the Lightning series.
0: Uh, you know, I'm glad you asked. And and here's the thing. When it comes to Tampa Bay, the first thing I want to make sure that, that everyone is aware of is, is Tampa Bay is a team that is predicted to be a Stanley Cup championship winning team this season they're a front for runner sure. uh, you know you can't I don't I don't want your metric for success on the Predators to be did they beat Tampa Bay every time they played them but um, you know the first game on Saturday was it was a bit discouraging um, I even went on the radio and made an impassioned plea to all of the uh, social media types to not throw in the towel on the season and that the, the fact was that you saw the team battle back at the end and, and I said you gotta look at the game on Monday and see how they respond. And what's bad is they responded with a lot of uh self Let's see. What's the right way to say this? A lot of uh a lot of self-created adversity is how they responded, with a lot of unnecessary penalties and things like that. And again, toward the end you saw them start to battle back, which is great. I like that. That shows character, but the problem I have is that you don't need to. Re- you don't really want to have a great response to your own adversity. You don't want to cause it. You, if you happens because of the other team or whatever, you have to deal with it. But, but for your own team to put yourself in that position where you know we're not very good on the on the PK, but we're going to commit a lot of stupid penalties, then you're going to have to deal with a lot of those that that adversity that's that's self created. That's not good.
2: Well, when Sean is right, Sean is right. Um, I think the overreaction was a little exhausting for me. Um, it's Tampa Bay, you know. They're Stanley Cup champions. They play like Stanley Cup champions. Um, now, I thought last night's game was a little bit more encouraging um, until that uh, point. What was it? Point three second goal at the end. Of, was it the end of the first where they let them score?
1: That that was the killer, I think, for sure.
2: Oh, that that one was a heartbreaker, and it was so typical in my mind of last year's team, and it was the thing that I felt kind of good about, that the Predators aren't that team that kind of, you know, bad news bears themselves, Um, but that was, that, that right there was a little bit difficult, but I will say I thought the Predators came out strong, but again, they get in their own way. You start committing penalties. You you know don't clog up the slot here and there and you know it's great to see them bounce back i think they have more character this year um but i don't know how far character's going to get them if they can't clean up the other things
3: all right i'm here to be the doom and gloom guy that all the people on twitter want to listen to because I'm not going to go as far to say that the season is over. I'm not going to go as far to say that the players should be tanking. But if you just look at this last string of games, um, I feel like it's unfair to just look at the Tampa games as an isolated pocket. They've not been good um, against the Blackhawks. They looked OK. Um, they, they drove play like they should against an inferior team, but they still had to go to overtime in back to back games. And it took a shootout in the one game in order to win um i i really don't like the performance i'm seeing from this team in a number of facets and i feel like if i'm just hitting on one point really quickly the thing that concerns me the most is what i'm seeing from the coaching staff um because there are a couple of guys who aren't really performing in the lineup um and there are some structure things that don't seem to be working very well i'm not saying you should throw the entire system out the window because that's dumb we're not that far into the season yet it's only nine games but at the same time um the Preds have been w- running the 1-3-1 on the power play for so many years now, and it's just not worked since Shea Weber has left. Um, I, I don't think you should immediately chuck it out the window, like I just said. But I saw some encouraging stuff from John Hines in the first Tampa game where he was putting different personnel on the different units, and it actually started to get something going there. And then last night, um, when when you saw them going down in a game, and the power play not clicking immediately in terms of scoring goals. They were generating chances, but they weren't scoring. He immediately rotated back to the old units of Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidson being on the top unit of the power play, Arvidson being the primary shooting option uh, that you're looking for one-timers, and everything went to crap again with that unit. Like I saw a little bit of progress there, and then everything just regressed back to form, which is infuriating to watch. It was the same thing for the first unit in... uh, six on five uh, when they pulled the goalie, it was embarrassing. Like you saw Victor Arvidsson out there on the top unit again, and he just completely whiffed on a couple shots. And I was like, how you saw this, you saw this in previous games. Why is he still back out there? Um, I do think there are reasons for concern in this nine game sample uh, to look at this team and go, this isn't a hockey team. That's going to go very far this season. Uh,
1: but, but here's, and and you bring up an interesting point because special teams has been the absolute cluster of the season, just like it has been for the past couple of seasons. You know, on on the power play, especially, it brings up the point that it the organization, whether it's it's Poyle or Heinz, they they seem to be going with the narrative that this is a player problem and not a scheme problem. And Amon, you kind of mentioned it a little bit with the same. Uh, the same formation for the past three years. You, you know, you talk about the one three one, and uh, our our good buddy uh, Alex Daughtry did a really good breakdown on the one three one the other day. That's a very much a a power football sort of mentality, kind of like a we know you know what we're going to do, but we don't think you can stop us, but we're going to do it anyway. And it worked with Shea Weber. It worked with PK Subban but they don't really have a sharpshooter, that, that big rocket shot. You know, Sean, I'll ask you this. A- at what point do you have to go to Heinz and say, look, is it It might not be the players, it might be time to look at a different formation?
0: Uh, you know, so saying it might not be the players is, is interesting because my, my line of thought has kind of been, and maybe this isn't what we need to get into now, so maybe maybe I'll hold it. But here, here's the thing. When it comes to that that format, that setup, um, I think when you say, when do you go talk to him about it? Like how soon? Like how much longer are we going to go?
1: I, I guess it's, well, we're not going to talk to him because John Hines doesn't care what we think
0: true Valid if point. you're if
1: you're john hines at what point do you really have to shake things up and and not just roll out the line blender
0: okay well you have to make a choice are you going to change the scheme or are you going to move players around on lines and i think you've already seen some tinkering with the lines, so i think you're going to see that for a while and if that doesn't really produce the desired results then i would look for the uh, schematic to change
3: my only thing is that I'm not really criticizing the use of the one-three-one itself because there are teams that do it and they do it well. And I feel like the Predators have the personnel to have at least one functional unit. And now with uh, Ellie Tolvin and potentially being a guy who's staying in the lineup, they could run two functional power play units with the one one The problem is the way that I'm looking at guys making decisions on the ice um, within the structure of the system is completely out of whack. Um, there was a really good film breakdown of it, uh I wouldn't call it true film breakdown, but it was more like looking through just basic highlights even on YouTube of the team's power plays, and you can see glaring issues. The number one thing being that players are deferring to the point rather than looking for the seam, um, which is what you're supposed to do on a power play. You're supposed to look for the seam, create cross crease movement for the goalie, and then try to get them moving side to side so you can score with the one time shot. And there, there were just consistent moments, if you go back and watch these games, where it'll be Philip Forsberg along the wall, and he's looking, he's looking, he has the option to shoot, um, he looks back, and instead of looking for the seam, which is a lot of the time wide open, because teams are just daring the Predators to beat them, um, he looks back to the point, and it goes to Yossi, and they're running the system like they still have a guy like Suban or Weber there who can get pucks through and get them on net, um, and then you have a guy create traffic and dunk it, and they just don't have that kind of player. But you know, power power play hasn't been the only issue. It's been penalty kill. The
1: Preds are dead last, um, and and it kind of brings up a you know discussion about the defense overall this season because we we know Yossi, we know Echol, we know Ellis, we we they, we know they have all these defensively sound players, and and I'll um, come to you for your thoughts on this. But it just seems like this year in particular, there's been a lot of uncharacteristic breakdowns from players that we're not used to seeing breakdowns from.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I will tell you, this is coming from a place in my heart where I'm still not over PK, not being here. So there's a wound and I view the defense through that wound. Um, I was kind of excited uh, when the season started and they brought in uh, Boro, they had Benning and I thought, okay, we're not going to have this painful third pairing Um, but it just has not, they've just not been great across the board. Um, obviously the, the third pairing just has kind of been a disaster. Um, but at home, I feel like haven't really seen much of him. I've been impressed actually with Fabra, which is a sentence that I didn't think that I would say. Agree. You know, that one kind of came out of nowhere and it's delightful, But Ekholm, um, and even I hate to say it, but you know Ryan Ellis, I I really feel like we need to see some more on them. The defense just there's holes. The penalty kill, you know, as I was rewatching the game today, the penalty kill they look awkward. Like as I watch them on the kill, they remind me of like eighth grade wrestlers at a dance. (laughs) Like you know what I'm saying? Like they know the moves, but they just can't get the groove and they look uncomfortable and I can't kind you know, I I'm not a coach. I don't know how to fix that except to say it's hard to watch. And the defense just in a lot of ways has been hard to watch.
0: I guess the thing is, you know, Ann mentioned and I think it was a very astute observation is that I think the big defensive surprise this year, at least on the upside of things has been Dante Fabro. Um, I really like the way he's playing Um and I think on on some level it kind of kind of helps make up for the fact that you're not seeing some of the other players um, play defensively as well. And if you want to talk about the penalty kill, awkward is a good word. Hard to watch is a good word. Um, and I think there's there's a certain element that I've noticed with the team is that when they they start to play very fast, um, and when they start to play very fast, they start to get really undisciplined, and I think that's when you see a lot of mistakes start happening. It's, and I noticed it a lot more against like a really fast team like Carolina, where when they start trying to play to Carolina speed, um, things look really good for a minute, and then they start to kind of tailspin, and when that happens you start to see a lot of defensive breakdowns, um, guys being out of position, sticks not where they're supposed to be, your lanes aren't getting closed off, the front of the net's not getting clogged up, And that's when they allow the other teams to do a lot of damage. So um, I'm not really sure what the solution for that is other than it's almost like you need to say play to your strengths, which at this point is not speed. Um, And you have guys on the team that are really good at killing penalties. So it's almost like you just need to get back to killing penalties the way you know how to kill them instead of trying to change things around. And I know that I believe, high notes in charge of the penalty kill this year. At least when he was hired, that was kind of the intention. But so far, not good. Sean, let me ask you this. Does it seem like the penalty kill is being
1: too aggressive? If that makes sense.
0: Like trying to be the
1: power kill? Trying to be the power kill. And we we notice it. I think it was Brian and I uh, had a conversation on Twitter about this where it looks like They're going for the steal. They're going for, you know, the high pressure. You know, somebody on Twitter had a very good screen grab on one of the Tampa Bay goals where there's, you know, three players up top pressuring the points and then the pucks down below them. And then suddenly you have one defender back trying to stop three guys.
0: So, yeah, you know, and I think I almost want to say that's partially the plan is to be very aggressive on the puck and you go back to training camp and the drill. I kept seeing them run over and over again of, and and granted this was on when you were um, on the four check, but, or even on the, I guess in both situations, but you're, you're trying to get the puck and that that's the goal is to get the puck and get it down. You don't have to stop a shot or block a shot if you don't let them take it and they can't take it if they don't have the puck. So I, I think there's been a big emphasis um structurally on on trying to prevent shots by you know suppressing possession as much as they can and i think you know it's very astute observation again to use the word is you know if you've got too many people trying to play the puck you're going to end up with somebody out of position somewhere really quick and that's a smart team can capitalize on that immediately
1: You know, the other thing we saw in the Tampa Bay Lightning game uh, in game two was really the biggest use of the line blender that we've seen so far this year. Um, You know, Eamon, I'll I'll, I'll start with you, because we know from watching the past couple of years, there's a fine balance between wanting to mess with chemistry of a line that's worked and needing to shake things up throughout the lineup.
3: Yeah, so last night we saw a couple of big changes, um, one of them being that the awesome line from last year that got broken up of Duchesne, Granlund, and Forsberg got reunited, um, which was pretty cool, and then Eric Howla bumped down to the third line, um, and I'm trying to think of anything else that really happened. I believe Nick Cousins was up with uh, Johansson and Arvidsson to start the game, right, and then he ended it there too. Yeah, and uh, Trenin and Tolvenin were on the third line with Colton Zizens as their center. So right. where where was Howla at exactly? I can't even remember. Was he the fourth line center? Howla was with Olivier. Yeah, so he was the four C. Uh, yeah, four C. Whoever the other winger was. So I I really um, Grimaldi. He was with the Grimaldi. That's right. That's right. Um, I I liked. A lot of the lineup changes last night. I feel like uh, Trennan's been playing very well lately, and he deserved to bump up in the lineup. Um, and I feel like kahlo has been playing very poorly um, so far in his stint as a Pred, so I felt like the limited ice time was totally warranted. Um, I would like to see Tolvenin get bumped up to the second line at some point with Arvidson and Johansson, but he played pretty well the uh, other night against Tampa, scored a goal, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um but the main thing for me was I really really love that Duchene Granland Forsberg line um and I don't think under any circumstances the predators should break it up. They did that a lot last year because Forsberg is the guy who can get a line going. He drives play so well that it doesn't really matter who he's put with. He's going to be good. Um and I don't feel like this team has a lot of players who can do that. But at the same time, the Jofa line has kind of looked neutered um, for the past year or two, <laughs> to use a little bit of an off-color word there. Um, they they haven't looked very good. They haven't been extremely effective. Um, even by underlying numbers, they've fallen off a cliff comparatively to where they were a few years ago. I feel like a lot of that has to just do with Arvidsson and Johansson aren't guys who can carry their own water anymore as well. Um, but that's besides the point. That top line last night was money. Um, I don't really particularly care about what the final score of that game said because there were some BS calls in there. Um, and that that one goal at the end of the third, or not third, at the end of the first period was just like a face palmer. Um, it was a bad night against a good team. What, what was awesome to me is that that line drove play well, won the chances battle, um created a goal i'm pretty sure Granlin got the goal um in the game in the third period and then also just look good um that's the best that all three of them have looked all season besides maybe grandland playing like a maniac elsewhere um so i i really hope that heinz keeps those lines together and then looking at the power play we had tolvenin on unit two um which was interesting and i'm pretty sure nick cousins was on the first unit am i right on that one
1: yeah so it was uh nick cousins was out there ryan ellis was out there with yeah Roman yossi and then you had Johansson and arvidson
3: yeah so i i like having ellis on the top power play unit in arvidson's spot a lot better um he's already created better that way he scored a goal the other night doing that um he's just much more of an accurate shot and he's better with one tires than arvidson's ever been um which again, not to keep crapping on number 33, because I don't think he's a bad player by any means, but he's just not a fit on the power play. He's not great when you're uh, doing a controlled cycle in the offensive zone. And I, anyone who's watched the games this year knows he just keeps whiffing on the one-timers and, or just completely missing the net with the shot. So Ellis is a good fit there. Hard shot, accurate. Um, I love the way that they deployed Tolvanen on the second unit. And that's the guy that they should keep in the lineup there because good God, that kid has a great shot. Um, It's accurate. It's hard. He's got a quick release Um, that that's the guy that you should have manning that spot. Uh, I thought cousins was kind of an interesting choice, but at the same time, if you're going to insist on doing a half and half strategy where you're going to do controlled entry some of the time and dump a lot of the time, it's good to have a guy who's a really good four checker and cousins is maybe the best on the whole team at that. So I guess that makes sense from that perspective. He's not a great shot, but he can go get it done in front of the net and he can be good on puck retrieval. Uh, What frustrated me was when (laughs) all of that got reverted in the third period to a point. Um, He kept the lines, John Hines kept the lines together, even strength pretty well, but uh when it came to the power play units and everything stuff got flip-flopped back and you saw johansson and arvidson back on the top unit um and then back out there for the six on five for the final minute or so of the game um so i i hope he goes back to the lineup that he ran um this past night because i like those lines better than what he's been going with i don't want eric haula in the top six um i prefer to see him running what he was doing then
1: Eamon did bring up a good point about ellie tolvanen Uh, A lot of Preds fans have been clamoring to kind of get him into the lineup for a while. Um, In in fact, David Poyle himself kind of hinted during the off season that, hey, Ellie Tolvanen's a guy that we see might be playing well in the top six. So, Ann, I'll ask you, uh, what did you see from Tolvenin's game Monday night? And uh, how do you see him fitting in moving forward?
2: Well, I think – His legend sort of arrived in Nashville before he did. So, you know, the mom in me feels very protective that he's going to be crushed under the weight of, you know, what feels like years of expectation. I thought he did great. Um, I think it's exciting to see him come in. Everybody knows about his shot, I think, especially on on the power play. I mean, why not put him out there? And I think he's one of the ones that is worth watching in in that spot on a power play. You know, Arvidson, God love him, um, but he is not an Ovechkin. He's not a Stamkos from that spot. You know, give Ellie a try and see if maybe he's got something there, and I think he does. I was glad to see his goal. I thought it looked like smart hockey. I thought it looked like he's going to where he needs to be. He's following the play. Um, And I think the structure of this season for as crazy and difficult as it is, is really going to be a benefit to him in that we're going to plug him in. I think he's going to have good opportunities to play. I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed by it as maybe he would in a regular season moving in uh, into the lineup in an 80-some game season. So I think this is a really great opportunity for him. And I think I think he's ready for it. I think they've really taken their time with him. I think he's ready for it. He definitely makes the games more exciting. I mean, let's be honest. You have we've watched some of these games and they've not been the most entertaining. You never know what's going to happen when you see him on the ice. So, I think it's a I think it'll be kind of a fun thing in a season that has some people already sort of weeping and gnashing their teeth. I think having him in the lineup um will give people something to look forward to.
0: So, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Ann said, and I think they've taken the right amount of time letting him develop. And one of the early complaints that kind of got lobbied toward him when he made the move to the AHL was that he seemed kind of lost. And I, I, I never really understood what people were saying until I watched some of his early AHL games. And it's it's almost like he's kind of feeling things out. And it's it's kind of weird, I th- think to see that play out on ice because it's really not a an environment in which you just want to kind of take it easy and just kind of feel your way around and make sure you understand everything. But I think I think you kind of see a little bit of that in that game that he just played in on Monday night. And and if you're maybe saying I don't know what this guy's talking about, he sounds crazy. I just say go back and watch and I I think you'll see it if you're looking for it. But what I've noticed is that once he gets comfortable out there He's a totally different player. And so I think as long as he continues to have those opportunities on the roster, I think you're going to see him get a lot more comfortable and you're you're going to start seeing a lot more production out of him. And I I really liked what I saw, don't get me wrong, but I think the more comfortable he gets, I think the better he gets. And honestly, I think having a lot of guys from the Admirals there with him is going to help that process go a little bit quicker.
1: Well, as we mentioned uh, at the top of the show, Preds are four and five after nine games, second to last in the Central right now. Although, let's remind everybody, it's just nine games into the season. There's 40-something left, which means a lot can happen between now and then. And, uh, you know, Eamon, you look at the Preds Twitter and Preds Facebook, and, you know, you'd think the world is falling right now. But I think it is important to know granted there are some realistic concerns that there's plenty of time to, to change things around
3: uh, i i mean i feel like yes the fan base is overreacting and that is a fair thing to say but at the same time the sample size thing doesn't hold as true as it normally would if it was an 82 game season and that's kind of where i'm like I feel like the people who are saying you can't panic; it's only nine games are thinking about it in the context of a longer year. Um, when in reality, we're through about seventeen percent of the games here, sixteen or okay. 17%. But but to to that point, the first place in the Central
1: is Florida with eleven points. The Preds have eight. You know, it's it's not like they have to make up you know twenty points or you know ten games. They're they're right there like a winning streak from the Preds and a cold streak from somebody else. And all of a sudden the Preds are back up top.
3: I mean, but you have to sort by points percentage here because Florida not played as many games as the Predators have. Um, no,
1: no. But the, the point is that, you know, if you're looking and just saying like, Oh, it's time for the Preds to tank this far in that, that that's a that's- little ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's asinine. And and like I said, yes, there's there's realistic points and it's a shorter season, but they preds have I'm not gonna try to do math in my head right now, but they have more than forty games left, which in a normal year would be half a season. And you know, they're three points back of the first place team.
3: Yeah, they have forty seven games left in the season, so there's plenty of time to make stuff up, but the I don't know. Um, The tanking stuff is a panic from the fan base. Um, They're not used to seeing this team lose games to start the year or just lose games, period. We saw that last year. There's a lot of fan apathy. Um, Anybody who follows Brian on Twitter knows his infamous Preds fan sentiment tracker, um, and that's dipped recently. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like it is a bit of an overreaction, but at the same time, there are things that are going on that are being repeated on a nightly basis where as a fan, if you're watching it, you should be worried. Um, so I'm not gonna poo-poo anybody who's like freaking out about them losing um as just being completely overreactionary. Cause I think it is fair to look at this team, be critical, and be like, things are not working, bad decisions have been made in terms of roster construction. Um, And there's some things on the coaching side and just the execution side that need to be worked out in order for them to play like we know they can in terms of talent. But if they don't improve things soon, um, if we're, if we're like the 22 or 23 game mark of the season and they're not turning it around, then I feel like it's a fair point for you to be like, Oh crap, is this team bad? Um, And there, there couldn't be a worse year for them to tank. So you shouldn't even be rooting for that, honestly, because all the top prospects in this draft, I hate to tell you, Number one, no one's going to really have seen an accurate sample of them playing because of the way that juniors have been affected with COVID. And the other thing is that almost all of them are defensemen. And the only other one who is like a potential top five pick, who's not a defenseman, in my opinion, is a goalie. So Preds fans on Twitter who are yelling for us to take, please stop. Right. And, and I'll, ask,
1: uh, I'll ask your opinions just kind of on the fan sentiment right now. Um, because I know you, uh, you in particular have some strong opinions on the, the takes that have surrounded some of the players.
2: I do. I have big feelings about this. Um, Eamon said, he's not going to poo poo anybody who is kind of doom and gloom on Twitter, but I am here to poo poo them. Um, yeah, we're four and five. The predators are four and five, but look at those five losses. Four out of those five losses were against Stanley cup final teams. Now the 7-0 loss to Dallas, we're just going to pretend like that never happened. You know, at some point you just have to pretend like something wasn't real. I feel like the Predators got better in the back-to-back games against both the Lightning and the Stars. Uh, So I think you kind of have to grain of salt, you know, it's only nine games. Four out of the five that we lost were to teams that we knew were going to be good. And the finger pointing, I have to tell you, the finger pointing on Twitter does make me a little bit crazy. Uh, I think they're lazy takes with a nine game sample. Uh, I think I've just seen a lot of lazy takes, specifically directed at Matt Duchesne, who I will stand in front and take a bullet for at this point in the season. I might change my mind later, but at this point. um, And so I think everybody just needs to take a deep breath. It is a shorter season than normal but it's still a longer season and there is frustration seeing the same things go wrong. But I also think there wasn't a long, uh, you know, there wasn't a long um, run up into the season. There wasn't a long training camp. They're coming out of a very wonky long pause too. So I just think everybody needs to take a deep breath, you know, find their center, calm themselves down and back off Matt Duchesne.
1: That's very zen. I like it. I feel like you need to lead a uh, a pred zen class somewhere on the internet somewhere.
2: I really think I should. I I think it would be the light to, you know, the rain that just the fury of Twitter.
1: I, I feel like you just like that should be on a poster right there, like a motivational preds poster.
2: I'm so motivational, really, terribly. But-
1: but you bring up a really good point, And Sean, I want to ask your opinion on this. But, you know, and you mentioned Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne has played very well this season. Keep going. Come on. He's, he's just it's 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 a thing. I think the best way to describe it is just snake bit. I mean, it, it would be one thing if Matt Duchesne was out there mishandling plays or not being in the right spot or, you know, just kind of looking lackadaisical. He's played great, and maybe other than Mikael Grandlin has been the best-looking Preds forward this year. And I could say the same for Ryan Johansson, too. Ryan Johansson has made a few really good plays to get the puck into high-danger chances, and, you know, the, the the resulting shots either miss the net or hit the goalie square in the chest. So, so Sean... Obviously you want to score. Obviously you need to put points on the board, but is there any solace from from looking at how Duchesne and Johansson have played and being like, okay, well there's something there at
0: least. So is there solace there? Yes. And I, I think the real answer to this issue of, you know, you're watching Duchesne, you're watching Johansson, and you're not seeing the production, but you're seeing the the right kind of playing happening. Um, kind of comes from this, and Anne made me think of it, and I'll say this, is that it, I started writing about the Predators after the Cup run. I started watching them in 2011, um, right after we moved to the area. And I realize now, kind of looking back a few seasons into covering this team, that I thought I liked the Predators before. Right, like I thought, oh, I keep up with it. I'm aware of things. I know stuff. But now that I'm covering the team, I, I almost feel like I live and breathe Predators. And so I think for me, like I can see based on the uh, the stats and and the type of play I see out of Duchesne and Johansson that they're they're definitely doing the right thing. Snake bit is a is a good word to use for what's happening at least with Duchesne on the scoring side of things, but um. I think a lot of the, the lazy takes that we're talking about are the result of, you know, you're tuning into the game. You're going to watch the game. Maybe you see the box score. Uh, maybe you hear about the game. Maybe you don't see every game or, or something like that. And and when you're watching them that way, which is a totally different way than I watch games now. Um, yeah. It'd be really easy to get frustrated with your two top, your number one center and your number two center, not producing. Um, so I I don't necessarily want to say that it's a lazy take in the sense that uh, obviously I'm paying a lot of attention to what happens on the ice, what happens off the ice, what happens in practice, what the guys are saying in interviews, but, um, you know, not everybody is going to follow it as closely. And so I I'm really hesitant to say it's a lazy take because, you know, not everyone's going to follow it as closely. And I think people are allowed to kind of have some some distance from the team <laughs> that I don't necessarily have because they're, you know, they're they're watching the game and then they're turning the game off. And then they're getting online and they're getting mad with their friends. Which is the point of the internet. So um, you know, it's really easy when you've got guys that aren't producing to to call them out. And it's it's certainly I, I think it's okay, honestly, because you know most fans that's what they want to see they want to see guys scoring they don't want to see that they they played really good hockey they just didn't score they want to see the scoring so you know i, I guess for me when they start scoring and then everyone's back on their side maybe that's the time when people are going to realize how good they'd been all along that they really were just snake bit and and i hope that kind of brings everybody back around cuz so i think once they start scoring the way it appears like they should be scoring. The team will start winning a lot more as well.
1: So it's interesting because it sounds like we have three very different uh, opinions here kind of about that sentiment. But, you know, the the best thing we can do is just see how it uh, how it all turns out. We may be back here in three weeks and have a very different uh, topic of conversation. Who knows? Matt Duchesne may go on a uh, Connor McDavid-esque tear. And it'll all be a moot point, but, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, What we are going to do right now is we're going to take a break. But as we go to break, I have a little bit of a Preds trivia question for you guys. We've been talking about special teams. So my question to you is there are three players tied for the Preds record for most power play goals in a season. Can you tell me the three? I'm going to let you guys think about it. Anybody uh, listening at home or on the road, you think about it and we'll have the answer after the break. You ready? Showtime. On May
0: 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy.
3: What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita.
1: Make some bad decisions. Yes.
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy.
2: What's what the poster said?
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Because nope. I don't either.
1: It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, before
1: we went to break, we asked the trivia question: Can you name? The three Predators who are tied for the franchise record for most power play goals in a season. Guys, any guesses?
3: Uh, I guessed Weber, Neal, and Hornquist. But I feel like at least one of those is wrong. You have one of them right. Sean, any guesses?
0: Mm.
1: Hmm. Okay, here's a hint. Two of them are defensemen.
0: Uh, Roman Yossi. Nope. Hmm don't know timo
1: timonin no but amen i feel like if anybody would get this it's you oh hold on that
3: implies that this guy played for the flyers <laughs> uh scott hartnell or wait no, no he's not a defenseman i'm a moron uh merrick said licky maybe did merrick said licky play for the flyers uh no oh, i think he it was just flyers. devils and rangers right uh let's see Kostitsin didn't play for philly um the other Kostitsin. Um I'm trying to think. I don't think... I think this is before your time. If you say the name, I'm probably going to get mad. Uh, go ahead and drop it in here. So, you got Shea Weber, right? Yeah, that was the easy one.
1: Paul Correa is the other one. Okay. The last one is Andy Delmore.
3: Oh my god! Andy <laughs> Delmore! In 2002-2003...
1: Uh, They all scored (laughs)
3: 14 power play goals in a season. Good God. We have Philip Forsberg on this team, and we can't score as many goals in a single season with him as Andy freaking Delmore. That is unbelievable. Uh, But
1: but, fun fact, Philip Forsberg does have the second most, well, I guess technically fourth, but, you know, he has 13. He had that back in uh, 2017, 2018. But, yeah, Andy Delmore. And, uh, Eamon, do you know what piece of history
3: Philadelphia Flyers history Andy Delmore has? I'm completely blanking, but I know it, and it's, like, a super funny moment, um, and he's a complete meme in the Flyers community for this, I'm pretty sure. The first Flyers defenseman to score a hat trick in a playoff game. Yep, that's right, and he's, like, a total rando,
1: (laughs) career-wise. He had a slap shot like Shea Weber, and he played defense like Austin Watson. He had the brain of uh, Victor Stahlberg. Andy, I liked Andy Delmore. I think he was, he's one of those people, you talk about good shots. Andy Delmore had a great shot. Like one of the best shots in Predators history. He just could not play <laughs> defense very well. Is not a, not a uh, full 200-foot player. Sounds like every single Flyers defenseman of the past two decades to me. All right, but he got you a hat trick, so it all works out. Well, the Predators uh, have a lot coming up over the next week. They have the Panthers next. Um, and, Amon. I know you have your uh, your look-ahead, week-ahead podcast. Um, you actually talked to uh, some Panthers folks about the next games on the Pred schedule.
3: That would be our boy Todd over at... Uh... Litterbox cat shout out to todd he's pretty cool um but yeah you guys if you're listening to this um i'm pretty sure the look ahead episode featuring that interview should be dropping around the same time that this podcast does be sure to go listen to that before these games come up here he had some really great stuff talking about the team um there's some stuff in there too about how the predators and the panthers are kind of similar franchises in a lot of eerie ways um except obviously the predators have seen a lot more success lately but panthers are pretty good this year so far even though they've played some weaker opponents they've looked good so go give that a listen um lots of good information there that only looks at the panthers though and then just talks about what i'm expecting from the predators the week ahead Um, so don't expect anything about the red wings or the lightning or anything in there well
1: let's talk about the the next games because after the panthers the uh the tampa bay lightning come to nashville this time um, and I'll ask you, what do you want to see different from Nashville this time around besides, you know, actually winning a couple games?
2: Well, I think we should aim for that. Um, I think just like everybody, uh, want to see just a cleaner game. And, you know, I feel for Hines. I don't think that the penalties is a topic that has not been addressed. I feel very confident that Heinz has talked to the team about it and, Hopefully, the execution on that uh, will be a little better than what we've seen. So I'd love to see a cleaner game. I'd like to see the Predators come out uh, with the energy and the physicality and just sort of um, the spark that they had at the very beginning of the game last night. Um, Better defense. I feel like there was a couple times where they let some guys get past them. So I'd like to see a little better defense, fewer rebounds um, coming out of the glove of the goalie. But I really feel like it's a good opportunity for the Predators to clean up a couple of little things and really sort of see what this team is made of. I think it'll be a great measuring stick of if we tweak these things that we keep saying are the issue who are we really going to be when we do that? And that's what I'd like to see. I think we'll know a lot more about the Predators team after these two games coming up when Tampa comes here. I think they'll really kind of reveal what we're working with.
1: Sean, let me ask you this. Is it beneficial for, you know, the Predators to have the same team kind of come back and, you know, for the Predators to have a second shot at the Lightning this soon?
0: I think so. I think it's good because you're not letting so much time pass between the last time you played them that you're letting any kind of like, uh, I don't know, like built up or pent up frustration or resentment, get to the point where it's going to explode and you get on the ice and make you do something emotional. Um, I don't really know that that would happen. I'm not trying to say that like, Oh, we're just so mad. Cause we lost. We're, we're going to show them, but it, it gives you a chance for redemption rather quickly. Um, and I think that's probably a good thing, and I'm hoping that uh, you've got two games between seeing that team, and they're they're against the Panthers. And as you mentioned before, the Panthers have played some some of the weaker competition, so I'm hoping this will be a good chance for the Predators to play a team. Um, I'd like to see some wins come out of it, and then maybe ride that kind of momentum into seeing the Lightning and seeing them at home. Um, not that the small crowd gives you some kind of major home ice advantage like it used to because there's not that many fans in the building but i think you can come out and set the tone early in your uh, home arena and i think that's going to maybe be what allows them to kind of strike quickly set the tone and and put up some numbers really quick amen what's the one thing the one key that's going to get the predators through this
3: next stretch of games Dang, that's really hard to narrow down to just one point. I'll try here. Um, I would probably say just executing on the penalty kill is the big thing. Um, You could say they need to be more disciplined, blah, blah, blah. I really feel like a lot of the games that they've taken a lot of penalties, it's all been ticky-tack crap. And looking across the league, um, there's been a lot of bad officiating, um, whatever team you watch. So I feel like that's just kind of a luck-based thing, how many penalties you take right now. Um... But they need to be better on the penalty kill. Um, We talked earlier about they're over-pursuing guys. I feel like you can make the power kill work, but they're just not comfortable in that system. And they're not executing it the right way. You see, it's just inopportune moments chosen to be aggressive on the puck uh, rather than remaining within the shell and just maintaining formation. So if if they get that worked out and the penalty kill is executing and clicking on all cylinders... Florida is a team that can absolutely kill you on the power play because they have guys like Uberdoe and Barkov and our good friend uh, slash enemy, Patrick Hornquist. Uh, And then also same thing with Tampa. It's just deadly after deadly player. Um, So if they're they're executing on the PK, if they're making sure that they're at least, you know, not giving up a power play goal every single time they go out there, uh, which is what it feels like, at least Um, it's not exactly true, but kind of felt like that they can at least split these series with these teams. Um, I feel like they have a shot to beat the Panthers outright. I don't know that that team is all that great. Um, I feel like their record is a bit uh, misleading given the teams that they've played, but at the same time, we played Chicago and barely eked out two wins. So I can't really give them too much crap.
1: The Detroit Red Wings are on the schedule in the next couple of weeks. Um, A lot of people have pointed out, well, there's uh, two guaranteed wins for the Predators. May I remind you that the Predators and Red Wings have played 18 games since the lockout? Nashville's only won five, so they historically do not play well against the Red Wings. So not, not, not predicting a Detroit win, but I think it's important to note that nothing in the nhl is a guarantee all right well let's uh let's segue into that into some talk about the central division um surprisingly right now the florida panthers are on top of the division five oh and one tampa bay is also tied for the lead with 11 points and columbus also has 11 points despite having a very very weird year um and I'll start with you. Is there anybody in the central division besides Tampa who we've talked about that that's kind of stood out to you this year?
2: It pains me to say it. It really does. I almost can't bring myself to say the words, but I thought it, I have a healthy respect sort of for Dallas. Uh I don't want to see them be successful. Uh and I think part of that is you know, they handled the predators solidly. Um, And I also think, you know, Carolina, you always, always have to keep Carolina in the mix. It's just, you know, and I can, I can get behind that one a little easier than I can get behind the stars. But I think Carolina, I think Dallas, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference points wise, you know, there's a lot of room for movement. Some of these top teams, they're going to be playing each other multiple games. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they kind of root out maybe for some of the teams that are okay in the middle average, just see how some of these top teams and how their points sort of shift the division around as they play each other, you know, multiple times. Yeah. I think ultimately you're going to see Tampa Bay at the top of the division. I just think they're that good. Um, But I think there are going to be some really great matchups too. Um, and I think that the Predators have their hands full in this division.
0: So the team that has jumped out at me, and I was kind of expecting it, was was Carolina. Uh, I expected them to do well. I think they're doing just fine. Um, I really wanted to see that second game between the Predators and the Hurricanes, but we didn't get that one, so we'll have to wait. Uh, and as far as a team that's disappointed me, Um, I'm going to have to go with the Red Wings. So far, I was really hoping that they would kind of put up more of a fight and maybe give Chicago something to worry about as far as uh, Chicago being last in the division. There's just a certain amount of hatred I have for that team that makes me cheer against them, but also cheer for teams in a position to make them look worse. And it hasn't quite happened yet. So I'm hoping um, as the season goes on that Chicago will – continue to underwhelm me whereas detroit will start to impress me
3: uh so for talking teams um i'd I'd have to say impressing me um it's it's a cop-out to say the lightning but the lightning um they're without nikita kucherov the fact that they're able to just kind of truck along with no difficulty at all and dominate the preds like they have been is uh, nothing short of amazing and they spanked the crap out of the blue jackets the other week too so uh, that team is absurdly good I love watching them even if I'm losing to them Um, and in terms of a team that's disappointed I mean the easy pick here has to be Columbus because geez man they're a mess over there they could turn it around in short order because they've had some stuff shift around with the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade and they have a guy who can finally finish in Patrick Leine. but. I don't know. That team's center depth is just kind of a mess right now. Um, I don't know that Linea is going to be a great fit for that team. You saw how Rick Nash, or not Rick Nash. Rick Nash wasn't there when Tortorella was there. But uh, you saw how um, Vinny LeCavalier clashed with, uh, clash with Tortorella. You've seen it before with other really talented players who don't really play a good defense. And Linea is another one of those guys. So I feel like they're just going to keep plummeting towards the bottom of the division here.
1: Can I ask why, when you guys were listing uh, teams that disappointed you, nobody mentioned the Nashville Predators? Oh.
3: I live in a constant state of disappointment. They can't go any lower than where I am. I mean, we all had decent hopes for them. (laughs) It's
1: (laughs) not over.
2: It's not over yet. I'll be the sunshine to Eamon's reign. It's not over yet.
3: As always. Uh, I mean, yeah, I picked them to finish third in the division. They're not living up to that so far. I still think they can do that, but I also said that Ellie Tolvanen was going to lead all rookies in goals. So I don't know.
1: Well, you know, we mentioned Detroit being bad. At least they're not the Ottawa Senators, who have a negative twenty-two goal differential nine games into the season. Matt Murray, I hope you enjoy your new mega deal in Ottawa, buddy.
0: Is there like cool stuff to do in Ottawa? Is there an upside here we're not seeing or
1: uh the Canadian capital, parliament?
0: Mm. <laughs> sounds sounds delightful.
1: I I don't know. I I don't know if we have an Ottawa expert on our payroll. I'm sure it's lovely. I mean, it's it's got an airport, so Let's take that What Winnipeg can say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh a little fun to follow up on that. Who is your Mv env- okay, I'm gonna make a rule here. You can't say McDavid and you can't say Leon Dreisidel because they're in a different league. Other than those two, who is your like dark horse MVP this year?
3: Uh I, I have one, but it's kind of a weird one. Um and I might catch some heat for it. So no, feel free no. to yell at me. Feel free to yell at me. Uh I would say um small sample size obviously and he's out right now but while he was playing Mackenzie blackwood looked like the best goalie in the nhl um that devil's defense is kind of a mess uh they have guys who can put up points there uh like ty smith and he share and uh jack hughes but they're not a good defensive team yet um i don't think they really have the pieces there pk still looks kind of washed uh, as much as i hate to say that because he's a lovely human being um And Blackwood was the reason that they got out to that hot start and they were beating teams like the Bruins um, and looked really legit. And, I mean, part of it, too, is that Hughes is playing very well and everything, and uh, that's great. But you've seen how they've taken a nosedive when Blackwood hasn't been a goal for them. By goal saved above uh, expectation uh, over the past season or two here, he's been a top five or ten goalie. pretty much every single year that he's played so he looks like the real deal um and he's been kind of a low-key mvp guy for me to start the year the problem is he's been out uh i believe with covid so hopefully he comes back and keeps killing it
0: i I would say steven stamkos i think he's having a pretty good season um granted he's he's in our division which makes it a little bit more tough to (laughs) tough to admit but um of course, you know, I'm not allowed to say sidle, so you had to, you took away my answer. Um but beyond would you, that
1: Would you take sidle over McDavid right now?
0: Uh yep, I would. I'll uh, always take sidle over McDavid. Why? Oh, he's he's German and they're just so efficient and you know, I don't know. Is that bad? Uh, I mean, whatever. Look, I'm not in
1: charge of the PWHA here. Okay. Or PHWA I have dyslexia, so it's okay. either way. Either Nick way, McDavid's I I don't have control of that. So you, whatever floats your boat when you're yep. casting your MVP Nick, boat.
0: Here, I'll tell you why. This is the exact reason that I would choose Sidle over McDavid. Um, I don't remember. I almost want to say it was the game in Nashville last season, um, the night of the tornado or right around that time period. But the Oilers came to town. McDavid was out, and Drysidle just destroyed the Predators by himself. And I was covering that game in person, and it was it was a sight to behold. Like I've I've rarely seen someone put on a display of such just sheer absolute dominance on, on the ice that I saw out of him that night. And it was just it was nasty. There was just no solution, and he didn't have mcdavid there with them i i don't know that i see mcdavid doing that without dry
2: okay everybody always comes with these you know stats and all of this stuff but i i pick from the heart um and quite frankly my mvp and this is gonna go over well we'll see how this goes over is matt freaking duchene
1: <laughs> yes, Come now we're on. getting wild.
2: Come on. Well, here's here's how it is. Matt mm-hmm. Duchene came into Nashville, and I picture it in my head like uh, from the film, the animated film, when the Grinch or how the Grinch stole Christmas. He's the little dog with the reindeer antlers tied around his head that are heavy, pulling the sleigh of expectation. And came in 100% wanting to do well and, you know, please the organization and perform well. And he walked into the most, uh, from the outside, what appeared to be a very dysfunctional family brouhaha. And he kind of looked like he didn't know what hit him and bless the man's heart. He's come back this season. I feel like he still has that same fire. I feel like he still has that same commitment. I feel like he's kind of come through the lavulette, coaching change, COVID weird playoffs, you know, couldn't make it in the play in round. I think he's come through and he still has a little twinkle in his eye. I think he's doing everything right I think he's going to score some goals and Twitter is going to love me for that, but that's my take. I stand by it.
1: I cannot wait for that to happen. I hope it does for multiple reasons, but honestly, if Matthew Shane goes on a tear and the predators start winning, there's going to be a lot of different opinions. So as for mine, and I don't think in a million years, he's going to win. But can we talk about how dominant Kale McCarr has been for the Colorado Avalanche this year? Him together with Bowen Byron, especially has just been like something crazy to watch in Colorado. You know, Colorado was my pick to win the cup before this year. And you know, if, if he keeps, if Makar keeps playing as well as he's been playing, that's going to happen. Well, on that note, we're going to call it a night here on the on the four check podcast um let's uh, go around and where can people find you on twitter
2: i am at ann k underscore mama on ice on twitter
0: sean where can the fine folks find you uh you can find me on twitter at s c s o t f
3: and amon where can we find you uh, I can be found on Twitter at Jin and UC, spelled like UC Saros. All right. And I'm Nick Morgan. You can find me at underscore
1: NS Morgan on Twitter. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. This has been another uh, fun episode. Uh, we will probably be back in another week or so to chit chat about what's been going on the ice. Until then, stay safe and have a good night.